Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic, not only to be uh, helpful to keep our mind off of things, but also educational and fun. I think that learning should be fun because that's how we learn better, and all the brain research says that. So my guests have always been very entertaining and, um, and educational at the same time. Today, my guest is Nick Barker from the UK. She's my first guest from the UK, so this is really awesome. Um, and we're going to talk about the hoof and in performance. And so I'm just going to let Nick introduce herself. I think that's probably going to be a whole lot better than if I give it a try. So thank you so much, Nick, for joining me on this webinar. Thank you for having me. Um, it's lovely to be here. And I'm sorry it's a bit dark here, but we are, um, we are in the evening. So um, it's, uh, it's very wet and it's very dark here. So I apologize if it's not... Uh, it's actually pretty good. I've, I've had other that were darker, so this is good. That's great. Um, I just want to ask you a quick, quick question. Do you mind if I share this live on Facebook? Um, I'm happy for you to share it. That's fine. Okay, great. So I'll just get that set up here. You can go ahead and, and let us know who you are and how you got to where you... Okay, so um, I live in the southwest of England. I live in a remote part of the country, um, and we have a small hill farm here. And for about the last... 15, 16 years, we've been running the farm as a lameness rehabilitation facility, um, primarily working with horses who have deep flexor tendon injuries, navicular collateral ligament injuries, so lamenesses which block to the hoof. So my interest is in um, healthy hooves, performance hooves, and how to take hooves from not so good to being as good as they possibly can be. And how, how did you ever get into this in the first place? I got into it like I suspect a lot of people do because we had horses who were um, lame and we needed to uh, try and improve that. And we'd exhausted, um, we'd exhausted the options of remedial therapy without success and medication without success. So um, that's what really started me looking into uh, alternative ways to improve soundness. And so basically you were uh, a horse owner, you'd been a horse owner most of your life, I would assume, living in the UK, and, um, and had a horse that went lame, is that kind of how you got started? Yeah, we had, uh, we had a, a horse, this was back in, uh, well, I mean, I'd had him, by the time he went lame in 2004, he was already 16 or 17, and I'd had him since he was probably eight or nine. So that was quite a long, you know, we'd, we'd known each other a lot of years and we'd done a lot of stuff together. We had other horses as well. So he went at about 16 or 17 and we tried the, all the things that you normally try. So we, he was diagnosed on the base of x-ray and we knew it was a navicular diagnosis and we tried remedial farriery and we tried working him on soft ground and we tried various other things. Um, and of course, as often happens with those sorts of lamenesses, he got progressively worse over a period of, um, sort of two years until all the things that we were trying were not only not helping but he was steadily deteriorating so at that point um, we were uh, like many people have got to with these horses back to the wall there was no there were no viable options left and his quality of life was deteriorating so we either try something different or we had to look seriously at putting him down um, so with very little to lose, we started, or I started to look at different options. And I was fortunate because we lived in a place that we could um, address our environment. We had a lot of creativity about surfaces we could use and um, creating an environment that was more beneficial for him. So that's what we did. And um, 
to my enormous surprise, because I was, as most sensible people are, very, very sceptical, um, he improved steadily and carried on. He came back into work and he carried on working until, uh, literally until the day before he died. And he died at the age of 25 of melanomas, um, completely sound and had been ever since. Well, you know, so much, so often it's adversity that drives us into learning something new. Absolutely, absolutely. And for me, I think that's, the, okay, so the pandemic has its really negative sides and it's affecting a lot of people and their incomes and their jobs. Absolutely. And on the positive side, it's, it gives us an opportunity for change because it forces us to address things that we otherwise would just go along right? Just merrily go along. It's not bad enough to do anything. We can tolerate this, whether that's commuting to work or, you know, working a job. It forces that a reset. It forces a reset because there are, no, there, there are fewer options than there ever were before. Absolutely. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I look at is this pandemic. There are, if we can look at it from that perspective, if we can look at our horses that go lame as a perspective of there's something here that I need to learn rather than, oh my God, my life is ending. My horse is lame. It's the only horse I have. I can't afford to do the surgery that they're telling me to do or et cetera, et cetera. Um, that I think it's not denial. It's not saying life is rosy. And I think people need to realize that there's a difference between sort of the denial of everything's going to be okay and yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I always say to people, because we now, you know, for the, for the last how many years, we've had a lot of horses come through us for rehabilitation. The one thing I always say to people is there are never guarantees, you know, particularly with horses, but there are never guarantees. You can, you, you have to be realistic. You have to be prepared to work hard. You have to be prepared to look at options. It's not rosy at all. It's blooming hard work, but it can be very, very rewarding. Right. And so I think that that's, you know, you're yet another person that I've had on, on the show that uh, um, there was some life event that drove you with your knowledge that you previously had, because we can't negate the body of knowledge that we have from before. Sometimes it's what we don't want to do. Um, sure. It is a body of knowledge. And then we are into this situation where we have the opportunity to make a change and then the, the learning's hard. I, you know, I can remember times in my life when I was forced into a change and the learning can be, feel very hard and very difficult and your brain hurts every single day. And, and it takes a long time. Yeah. You know, you're in a field as I was, you know, 16 years ago when there were very few people doing this and very little, you know, people were generous with their knowledge, but there was a, an enormous amount that we didn't know. There's an enormous amount we still don't know. Right. And it's incrementally building that knowledge and, and testing it, always testing it. So out of curiosity, what were you doing before, other than riding? Were you, did you have a job before you got <laughs> so so I, did, I, did I did what everybody does, surely. Um, you book the farrier every four weeks or every six weeks, and that is your sole responsibility as far as the horse's foot is concerned. And if you're, if you're feeling really, really conscientious, you paint a bit of hoof oil on um, or pick them out regularly. But that was, that was, you know, my responsibility stopped at the vet log. I had, it was not my problem what went on down below. It was like an act, of, an act of God, you know, either my horse has good feet or my horse has bad feet and there's nothing I can do about it. And, and did you have a career prior to this career? I mean, I think this is taking up your full time now, right? Uh, well, <laughs> my, my, weirdly, my background is in law. So um, my background was legal. So whether that helps with trying to analyze things and put things together, I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it, there is something about having an education that you learn how to learn is one of the things that I think is a benefit. And it, I spent $20,000 on my master's degree learning to say that I don't know and then tell them what exactly. I do know. Um, exactly. So there is, there is that to be said for education. 
but um great well, it's, well I mean, you can always learn can't you even if you learn what not to do you can you can if you never stop learning you're in a good a good position i think <laughs> yeah i think you're right and so you've been running this farm now since 2004 is that right yeah 2004 was when we when we um when we first came here with our lame horse <laughs> <laughs> Well, our other horses weren't lame, but we had one who was, and actually, uh, uh, because we had uh, three horses at the time, um, we everything we applied, we applied to all three of them. So we applied it to the sound horses as well as the unsound horses, and that in itself was also very useful because it's, from my personal experience, it's very useful to have one extremely sound horse who is going to inspire you and make you realise what a really fantastically sound athletic horse is capable of as well as all the ones that you learn from along the way so you need an inspirational one who can inspire you to keep going and makes life easy for you as well as the ones who are much more challenging who you would learn a lot more from yeah i think you're right there because you know so often i watch when someone's uh said they want to train a horse but they've never trained a horse they don't know what the end product is going to be and so they make a lot of mistakes because they're not really experienced with the end product and it's the same yeah. with a foot if you don't know what a, exactly. a good healthy foot is and all you've ever seen your whole life are poor feet mm. there's no reference there's exactly. you know references really exactly. so so very often when um if a horse is sent down we take horses on veterinary referrals so if a horse comes to me with a deflexed tendon injury or an avicular injury and the owner has another horse quite often they'll get bitten by the bug and they'll come and say oh this is working so well with my horse i want to take the shoes off my other horse and what i usually do to them do do say to them is just wait wait until this horse is going really well and you've gone through like a whole season maybe with this horse and you've seen his feet change and improve and you know what you need to do to keep those feet in the best possible condition and then you've got all the knowledge you need with your other horse and that horse will be an absolute cinch and it will be so easy because you've done the hard learning with your first horse. So how many horses do you have in rehab at any one time? Uh, usually it's only, um, it, it varies slightly on time of year, but it's usually between four and six, not more than that. Okay. And you get vet referrals and farrier referrals? Uh, usually the way horses actually come is, is sometimes it's pure vet referral. So, so there are some vets that I've worked with in the past who you know, will ring me up and say, oh, you know, I've got another one that would benefit from coming down. But very often it's owners coming to me through word of mouth from other owners. Oh. So somebody will go onto Facebook and say, oh, my horse has been diagnosed with a deep flexor tendon injury or navicular or whatever. And they'll be asking for ideas and support and, and information. And that's very often where my name will come up or Rockley Farm's name will come up. And, and then, then you also do consults outside of Rockley Farm. Do you travel around? Uh, I travel for workshops. Um, I don't travel. Uh, I get a lot, as you can imagine, I get a lot of people saying, can you give me advice on my horse? I, I don't ever give advice on, on a horse I haven't seen right. because as I think will probably become clear as we talk a bit more, um, how horses are moving, how they're landing, how their feet are loading at the moment is a really essential part of working out what's going to help them or hinder them. Right. And I, and so often I get people asking me questions like that and it's, they're not seeing what I would see. And that is actually one of the problems is that they can't see something that's actually going on. And if they could see that, they'd probably be already in another direction. So sure. to, to have somebody say, can you, you know, can you, my horse is lame, can you advise me? It's like, no, because I'm gonna see something entirely different because I come from a different perspective. Sure, I mean, when we've got the veterinary diagnosis, that obviously helps because 
you know often nowadays you'll have MRI so it's a very detailed the, the, the details of the pathology is very clear and usually by the time somebody comes to me they will have done the initial the vet will have assessed it the nerve blocks will have isolated the lameness to the foot so I don't tend to get people saying oh my horse is lame and I don't know even where to start usually it's quite focused on the foot by the time that the, you know the owner comes to me okay great yeah and you know, that's so many of my webinars, we've talked about the team, that this isn't an isolated thing that we're going to do. We're, it's going to require a, a really good vet, some support team at home, you know, your, your work. And so it's body work. It's always a team effort when we're yeah. looking at this, especially one that's had gone down the lameness road. So and that's, one the, that's one of the rewarding things. If you have, if, if somebody already has, and you know, a lot of owners who come to me are they're kind of almost pre-selected to be very conscientious people who have worked really hard to understand and learn and 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 already have a really good team around their horse and what's very rewarding then is if you've got say um a horse who's had a persistent um neck problem you know persistent neck pain that the body worker finds every time they come to do the horse and then they fix it and then it comes back again the next time very often once the horse's feet are better and they're more comfortable, obviously they then go home and the body worker can actually work in a more constructive way because as they fix things, they tend to stay more fixed. Right, right, absolutely. Otherwise, it's the band-aid that is going to peel off in a short period of time because we're not getting to the root cause. And exactly. That's one of the things that's so important is, is, is getting to what the real cause is, the root cause, because you yeah. can spend a lot of time and energy dealing with all these symptoms that really aren't going to solve the problem. So absolutely, and again, go ahead. It's not like an operation there, um, and and it's and it's uh, very focused. And by the like by the, you said, by the time the horses get to you, there's a good team behind it, conscientious owner, and so it makes what you do so much easier because they're already primed for what's going to happen next. Yeah, and also, you know, from my point of view, I need to be sure before I. I, I let, let somebody bring a horse down here that they understand how much work they will have to do going forwards. Because, you know, if somebody, heaven forbid, thinks they send the horse to me, I fix it and I send it back and that's the end of it, they will be sadly disappointed. So going forward, they're going to have to be feeding it really well. They're going to have to be exercising it, con you know, con consistently. They're going to have to be working on fitness. Um, there's a whole tail, if you like, following rehab. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. A lot of times people think, you know, I'll just go get this fixed and then I'm done and I don't have to worry about it. But, you know, that's it's really not the case. It's, this always takes sort of constant maintenance to make sure that we exactly. keep everything at optimum. Exactly. I mean, the way I usually talk about it is that feet are fitness. So in the same way as you wouldn't ever think once your horse is fit, you don't have to do anything else. Once your horse has good feet, fitness in terms of his feet are the same as fitness for the whole of the rest of the horse and the more you concentrate on really good nutrition and really good exercise and good mileage the fitter and the stronger and the healthier everything will become but particularly the feet right and environment plays such a role like we had a year where we had 90 inches of rain that's like three meters of rain we were just drowning we have that we have that most years <laughs> I live on the top of Exmoor on the west coast of England. We are, we, we average 70, 80, 90 inches, sometimes more. Yeah, so that's a whole challenge in itself because, you know, the wet, wet conditions yeah. really wreak havoc. All right, I think we've got a good background on what you're doing and, and how you got here, okay. which is fabulous. I always like to know how people got where they got. Um, and I know you have a slideshow for us, so let's just go ahead and dive on in. Okay, well, what I'll do then is if I share my screen and when you can tell me if this actually works 
um, because these things I think are always a bit more interesting with some um, visuals. Yes. So if I can make it work, let's see if we can do that. Ah, there we go. Got it. Excellent. Yep, right, I'm going to hit play on this because it just yep. makes it a lot easier. So um, I'm going to skip through this quite quickly because we've already done all this talking. The main reason I wanted to um, bring these slides up is because I wanted to be able to um, play some footage to you guys because I think it's really helpful to see dynamic footage of horses' feet. You will have realised by now that, um, if you didn't already, that the horses that I have here all are out of shoes. If they come in shoes, we take the shoes off. And what we're all about is growing the healthiest possible, highest possible performing hoof. Um, as it happens, we rehabilitate horses with injury. And the reason we do it out of shoes is because we can get faster results and usually better long-term results, but it's definitely more work, um, more work for the owner, but it's very rewarding when you do it. So the horse in the clip is actually one of my horses. Um, he was originally shod when I first had him, but he's been out of shoes now for, well, he's 21, so he's been out of shoes for um, 16 years. Can you um, see that video again? Can you just hit play again? It was so cool. It's very cool, isn't it? <laughs> it's really cool, and especially with the puddles and the splash, and then gets to more firm ground as he goes, which I, which I have a very old tape called The Thoroughbred, where they do high-speed slow motion. They talk about a sloppy track versus a good track and what the difference yeah. is with concussive force. So that's... Yeah, yeah so this, this track actually is, is crushed limestone, so most of it is hard with a few sandy bits that he's just crossing now. Um, I like this clip because it shows you that a horse without shoes is able to go at speed over really very tough terrain, very competently, uh, and in a very balanced way, without slipping, without shortening up. Um, this isn't something I'd necessarily expect the rehab horses that, <laughs> that I have here to do straight away. It takes them a little while to get to that level. Um, but this is, this is a... a, a one of my inspiration horses, if you like, going back to what we were saying beforehand, who was giving me a benchmark for what horses are really capable of. So when this horse first came out of shoes, um, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe the ground he could go over. I was doing high mileage on him. We were going over really, really flinty, stony, hard ground. And he was absolutely fine. In fact, he was loving it. And the more I did, the better he got. So that for me was a light bulb moment that actually a, a horse with a really healthy hoof can perform extremely well um, without shoes. And one of the reasons that I've stuck with barefoot horses all the way through is because what I've found with my own horses is that you can, um, it's much easier to avoid injury in a horse without shoes on. Because if you have a very balanced foot, um, it protects the horse from injury. It gives the horse the best chance to support the limb, the best chance to shock absorb and therefore the best chance to stay sound. Um, and I've just found it's much, much easier, having had experience with short horses in the past, it's much easier to keep a horse sound barefoot than it is to keep a horse sound um, in shoes. So that's my purely selfish reason for sticking with what I do. So um, one of the things I think we said we talk about, Wendy, is how, um, how I assess what a good hoof is like. Um, I'm all about how the hoof is in motion. I don't really care what it looks like when it's standing still. I don't care if it looks a little bit asymmetric and I don't care if it looks a little bit um, not like a textbook hoof, as long as it's balanced in movement. 
and balance when the foot lands. So for me, one of the, the other reasons I use video a lot is because it's, a, it's very cheap, it's very easy to repeat, and it gives me an incredibly useful tool into whether the horse is landing in a safe way and where movement will make him healthier and enhance his soundness, or whether he's moving in a way that is predisposing, predisposing him to injury because it's creating strain. Um, so that's why I sort of do what I do. Um, the other nice thing about using video is that it's something that um, everybody now can do on their phone. You can do it in slow-mo, and as long as you've got one person to lead the horse and one person to walk the horse up, you can assess your horse on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and be sure that you're either improving the horse's soundness, or if it's not improving, you can have a, a reset and rethink what you're doing and correct it. So the horse on the, um, the, the horse with the white legs is a rehab horse. The horse on the left is um, the same one of my horses again. This was filmed, uh, we, have a, we have a get together, um, obviously not this year, but in, in many previous years, we have a get together of our rehab horses where we all go to a, uh, usually a big um, cross country venue and we have a, a camp and a nice time going out on hacks, going jumping, doing whatever we want to do. And all this footage was filmed at one of those a few years ago when we, um, we had some very um, high quality cameras that we hired for the weekend. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. I love the, the, all the jumps and everything. It looks like a fabulous place to go. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We got into a little bit of trouble for galloping up and down on the roads. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you that footage later. So um, I'm going to flick through this because I've talked about it before. Um, but basically, if you get a really healthy hoof under a horse, and for me, a really healthy hoof is one that is um, not shod, um, it's a, the most fantastic way of protecting a horse from lameness going forward. Um, so this is another rehab horse. Uh, this is when we were doing our cross-country fun. Um, he was, a, he was a, a very honest little horse. You could pretty much point him at anything and you'd go for it. And this is another rehab horse, which is another event, um, a big 17-hand eventer. Yeah. So we had, a, we had a lot of fun on these weekends, a lot of fun. So all of these horses, the chestnut horse, this horse, and the gray horse had all been diagnosed with deep flexor tendon, tendon injuries. Um, and this is them... Uh, some years after their diagnosis, so with a number of years of successful rehab under their belts. Um, but again, what's great about the slow motion is you can see how the foot is landing, which is so important because if these horses are landing well, you can be completely confident that you can take them jumping, you can go cantering up the road, you can get, take them out you know, and do high mileage, and it will be beneficial. But if they're not landing well, that's when you need to be seriously considering what you're doing. This is where we got into trouble galloping up and down the road because we, <laughs> we kept cantering up and down the road until we got the perfect footage and we were actually uh, causing a slight traffic obstruction. Oh, it, was very, it was a quiet English lane, so it didn't really matter. Um, so again, this is another rehab horse, a different horse. You can see how he's landing, hopefully. You can see that he's, um, he's landing heel first. He's got a very balanced foot. Um, he's got great traction on the tarmac. Um, this horse had a collateral ligament injury. Um, but the, the lovely thing about watching a, 
a barefoot horse in slow motion is that you can see how the whole of the foot is engaged. Mm -hmm. So the frog is essential. The digital cushion is essential. And the way that we build strength in the, in the palmer hoof, the digital cushion of the frog is really by mileage. So once these horses are landing well, the more mileage you do, the better. Wow. Okay. So for me, the first thing I look for in a horse that's, that comes here, I mean, bearing in mind that most of the horses that come here have got a deep flexor tendon and navicular injury. Most of them do not have a heel first landing. And I wouldn't expect to see it when they arrive. But if I'm ever looking at uh, one of my own horses, I am expecting to see a really clear heel first landing. Um, the frog and the digital cushion are great shock absorbers. It allows the deep flexor tendon to function properly and it allows for full stride length. It also allows for better proprioception, which obviously is important in what you do as well. Yep. So this is a toe first, this isn't the most extreme example of a toe first landing. When horses come, I film them and I put them up on my blog. So there are hundreds of videos of horses landing toe first on there in various stages of rehab. So if anybody's interested, do head over to um, the Rockley Farm blog and you'll find a lot more examples. Um, medial lateral balance. When I'm filming horses for rehab, I'm filming them in walk. So these clips are fun because they're faster. But I film horses in walk because um, each limb is loading, so you can see it really clearly. And if your eye isn't in, it gives you a chance, while the horse is moving fairly slowly, to actually spot, and if necessary, freeze frame how the foot is landing. These horses are coming uphill, but you should be able to see that you have a, a heel first landing on them as they come up. Um, when I'm filming, um, for assessment, I use a flat level surface. Has to be as flat as possible, has to be hard so you can see how the foot lands. And you want to have the horse walking past you in walk with the camera, camera at 90 degrees to the horse and that camera held still because there's nothing worse than somebody trying to walk along next to the horse and film and it makes you sick when you look at it. A tripod's handy or some of these weighted, I have a, a weighted. Um, handle that you can use so that it keeps the camera steady. So there's a lot of ways that you can do Tripods or, or, or even just holding it, holding it fairly, fairly low on the ground or resting on the ground sometimes works. So the other way I film horses is from the front. I'm just going to play that again because, um, because the other aspect of the foot you want to look at is the medial lateral balance. So with this horse, you can see he's landing on the lateral edge and then he's tipping in worse on the right foot. Um, that's really typical of horses with collateral ligament injuries. A horse with a toe first landing or a flat landing is really typical of a horse with a deep flexor tendon injury or navicular damage. So that's what we consistently okay, so see when we have you horses. Can, uh, you have more collateral ligament damage with a lateral outside inside. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. More you, can have, you can have both, of course. So you can have a horse that's landing toe first and tipping. But, but because we have the benefit of a lot of horses coming with MRI, we're able to kind of match the landings to the pathology on the MRI. And uh, historically, um, collateral ligament injuries tend to be associated with that tipping and yeah. flexor tendon injuries, understandably, are associated with palmer hoof pain. So a horse that's unwilling to load the back of its foot. Right, so toe first is indicative of that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So this is a horse at a workshop. Um, I mean, you can, you can just see that's not a comfortable horse. Um, what's quite interesting, if you're not sure how a horse is landing, is compare the hind feet with the front feet, because the hind feet will usually be landing a lot better. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, that was really cool. We're going to see that again. Uh, we can do, yeah. Let me, this is, this is great horse. <laughs> I do love this horse. <laughs> it's hard to see anything when they've got that much I was, feather. I was going to say, when you have feathers, you really do need the slow-mo to be able to see yeah, what's going on. Yeah, you really do. Or, or a shower cap so you can tie the hair off the way. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Let me just play that for you again. So if you look at the hind feet versus the front feet, you can see that the landing on the hind feet is much more confident. It's heel first. Whereas on the front feet, the horse is shorter striding. He's kind of stubbing his toe into the ground. Um, and that horse's injuries have been confirmed on MRI. This horse's injuries were confirmed on uh, pomodigital nerve blocks and x-ray. I mean, I don't think he had an MRI, um, but he had a, a palmer hoof pain um, diagnosis. So he had pain in the back of the foot, which is what you expect when you see a horse that digs his toe in like that. So, so I assume that you have collected a lot of data. Are you publishing this data? Like, because that's such an interesting thing <coughs> yeah. for, um, to know the correlation because you've got the MRIs and then you've got the horses and you've got the slow motion that you can make these correlations. I think that's fabulous. We have in the past, we've published, um, well, we haven't published, we've collated data in the past. The problem with the collating the data is incredibly time consuming process. So the last time I did it was when I had a veterinary student here um, on, on secondment for about six months. And she, she did an amazing job with a, a veterinary friend of mine of pulling together all the data that we had, but it's just incredibly time consuming to do. You need a and, grad student. Yeah, I need a, I need a PhD student who yeah. wants to do a PhD in hooves and that would be fantastic. And I will happily hand all the data over to them, but I just don't have the time. Yeah, there's plenty of universities there in the <laughs> UK that Hatbury should have somebody that wants to do a PhD. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a case, of, as always with these things, of joining up the dots and finding the right people. And I do, <laughs> I do sit down and have conversations with um, veterinary friends and we always get to the same point of, wouldn't it be great if, and then it's just finding the time, finding the people to get together. And it's, it, it, anyway. I totally get it. Okay. It's one of those things. It's one of those things. Maybe when I retire, I'll, I'll try and do a PhD. In <laughs> yeah, because this is really, to have that level of correlation and the data yeah. is, it is It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I put so much stuff up on the blog and I put so much, so much stuff up on the website because if it's linked there, particularly if it's a horse that a vet has sent down and they can see the video at different stages, it's really helpful. Yeah. So this is, yeah, again, I have, on the blog, I have so much of this stuff. Um, there was a horse called Guinness who went home last weekend who had a fabulous change in his landing. I should have really replaced this video with his because it's a lot of fun. So this is a horse uh, between kind of week one of rehab and probably week four. So he's gone from toe first to heel first, but he's not yet got that free full stride length that will happen as we go further down the line. So what you're wanting to see is a, is a fairly rapid improvement and then the horse consolidating and getting better and better at the improved movement. What's, what's sort of the average length of time it takes to... Uh, to have a deep digital flexor tendon be healed enough to be able to put back into work? I usually, well, we start working them, but on a, on a school surface, so a really easy surface. We start working them pretty much, pretty much as soon as they arrive, but I wouldn't work a horse on a hard surface until it had a heel first landing, and that usually takes around four weeks. Okay. <clears throat> and what's the average length of time a horse is in your rehab facility? They come for 12 weeks. Um, that's pretty much standard because what I found is that you need four weeks to get, on average, on average, right. four weeks to get a horse landing better. And then you really need eight weeks of road work, you know, work on a hard surface to get uh, ideally half a, 
half a new hoof capsule under the horse. So when you have, say a third, a third to a half of a new hoof capsule, if a horse goes home with that much new hoof capsule, then usually they're established enough that the owner can carry on and they don't need the facilities that we've got here. Because obviously when people go home, they have what they have. They might have a field, they might have a stable, they might, you know, a horse has to be able to go home able to work in their environment right. successfully and so that usually takes 12 weeks okay good to know <laughs> so again this is this is changes in um mesolateral balance over four weeks um sometimes it's easier to take stills from video which is what these are which is why the quality is not great but at least you can see the difference in landing so you're looking from a horse for a horse to stop tipping and to start loading evenly in walk So what the photo here is of, um, of the sorts of, it's one of our tracks here. Um, we have tracks that go around the farm. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it's more rehab specific. Right. Um, we use, we basically use um, conformable surfaces to provide stimulus to the foot, but without over challenging it, because what we don't want is a horse to be landing toe first. So the conformable surfaces help stop that but provide more stimuli, stimulus than a horse would get if it was just um, in a field. And then as soon as they have a better landing, we go out on the roads um, and do mileage, 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 mileage. And largely at work at this point? Yeah, usually because um, these are mostly horses that haven't been in work for a long time. So um, number one, you have to build them up. You have to build the whole of their bodies up, not just their feet. Um, and we are in a very hilly area. And what's great for these horses is to be walking up and down hills, long, long, you know, long lanes of um, not tight turns. So long, straight mileage, but mileage that is hilly enough to build muscle and has sufficient surfaces to um, improve proprioception. It um, sounds similar to what, you know, any human athlete, long, slow distance is the first element of any exactly. training program. Exactly. Exactly. And it's great for the horses as well, because it means that usually we do a lot of work led from another horse. So we'll ride one and lead one. So they're in a new place, they're with new horses, but it's not terribly challenging. You know, they feel safe and they just have to go along next to the other horse and not worry about things too much um, until they're much more confident with us and much more confident um, with their surroundings and much more comfortable on their feet. Mm -hmm. So I like this clip here. Um, it's two of my own horses, but I like it because you don't often watch horses feet from behind. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this is that you can really see why a digital cushion and frog are so important because you can see the shock absorption. Yeah. Um, and it really makes you realize why um, a foot with a frog, which is very stimulated and receiving a lot of pressure is a great way of building shock absorption in foot. It's really cool videos. I'm loving them. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Um, videos are so much more interesting than just listening to people talk, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is great. This is super. Um, so uh, how to improve landing. Yeah, when you've got one of those feet that tips with the mediolateral imbalance, then you definitely want the same sort of straight mileage um, with those sorts of horses, I would really be wary about tight turns or circle work because they really struggle until they've got a balanced foot. And sometimes you have to have the whole hoof capsule grown in before that horse is completely balanced and able to work on tight circles. 
Nice heel first landing on the chestnut horse, mm -hmm. as ever. So this is why um, this horse sadly is no longer with us. Um, he's a horse I first knew in about 2009, and he was a deep flexor tendon injury horse. And he grew really, really funky feet um, for a whole load of reasons. But uh, one of the reasons he grew funky feet was because he had had a deep flexor tendon injury and his feet required, as you can see here, more medial support than lateral support. Mm -hmm. So the other cool thing about hooves, which I learned very slowly and it took me a long time to realize, is that actually they are incredibly dynamic and they will grow in response to stimulus. So if you have a foot which needs support, quite often it will develop support if you allow it to. The problem is, of course, if you come and trim the hoof to a symmetry, then you may well be removing support. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult topic to get your head around um, if you haven't seen an awful lot of horses with these sorts of injuries. Uh, it's not something that I see in every horse, but it is, uh, again, quite common in horses with collateral ligament damage and deep flexor tendon damage that they will grow asymmetric hooves but they are much more balanced if you film them when they're landing with these asymmetric hooves than they would be if you took the asymmetry away so basically you know you were when you're talking about primarily horses that have had some kind of injury or something and then the foot is responding to the way the exactly. load's coming down and if you take away that support that they're trying to build in for themselves you actually can make them worse exactly so the first horse that you saw the clip of um, the little bay horse who is cantering along, he's never had an injury in his life, as far as I know. And so he has very pretty feet and they look very, quote, normal. They look like what we think a hoof should look like. Um, the chestnut horse had had a whole series of injuries and grew these very strange and funky feet. But if you allowed him to have those strange and funky feet, he was perfectly sound. So he was a quite, quite a good lesson for me. Um, and I've seen it since on many many horses but he was probably my uh, my biggest learning curve for that so again we're just looking at more footage uh, these are the same horses um, on a different track but again it's just very interesting to see what a massively important part the frog plays and how centrally loathing the foot is uh, incredibly helpful in allowing the horse to be fully balanced This is so cool. <laughs> I'm going to skip through. I've got various slides on nutrition and I'm going to skip through that because we just haven't got time. Right. Um, that's going to be a whole other topic. It's a whole other topic. It's a whole other topic. And if we had longer, we, we, we could do that. Um, but I will quickly talk about trimming because that's always a topic that comes up with, with, um, with barefoot horses. Um, and I know it's a topic that people can get quite um, excited about sometimes. Um, I trim very little if, in fact, uh, it's probably, um, certainly with what, well, with my own horses, it's probably the best part of 10 years since I've done any trimming, possibly longer actually, possibly 11 years. Um, and they are completely self-maintaining and I've very much backed away from trimming any of the rehab horses. Um, for a, for a variety of reasons um but what would be a message i'd love people to get from this is that horses shouldn't be sore they shouldn't be sore after they've been trimmed and they shouldn't be sore after they've been shod 
Um, it, if either of those things happen, it's a sign that something's going going badly wrong, because a horse that is less sound is is never a it's never a good outcome. So um, the reason you don't have to do any trimming is because you're essentially naturally wearing the foot by doing your roads. Partly that, but um, if you think about trimming, um, <clears throat> what a trim does is come along and put artificial stimulus on a foot. <coughs> so you come along and you rasp and you rasp and you rasp. And what you're doing is sending the foot a message that an awful lot of wear has taken place. So you're doing the equivalent of um, getting up from the sofa, doing 25 miles, and then sitting down on your sofa again for the next four weeks. So it's a very inconsistent approach. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about, um, if you think about the hoof structure, the hoof grows in response to stimulus. So we see it very clearly with our own horses. When we're at times of year when we're doing high mileage, which actually for us is mostly through the winter, the growth rate for hooves steadily increases. So if, for instance, I my horse's work reduces in April or May, which it usually does, then the hoof is still producing hoof at a rate to cope with 50 miles a week or 75 miles a week or whatever. So I've got a 75 mile a week hoof and then I suddenly go, actually guys, it's holiday time. So you're gonna be only doing maybe 10 miles a week. And it takes a while for the growth to adapt. Equally, it would take a while the other way if I wanted to go from 10 miles to 75. That's usually not a problem because you're usually building up fitness of the whole horse. So you do build up steadily and you don't really notice that you've suddenly got your feet to a 75 mile point as well as the rest of the horse. But th there's a definite, um, there's a definite correlation between the mileage you do of any sort. So a horse that does very little, we had a broodmare and a foal here once for, for, a, for a, a period of years and the broodmare did no work and the foal obviously didn't do any work, but their feet were completely self-maintaining because they had access to different surfaces and the mileage they did was always consistent. So it's more about consistency rather than having to do road work. Feet don't grow at an absolute rate. They grow at a relative rate to, to what they're being asked to do. Mm -hmm. So I've just said it all, but it's here, you know, it's here, it's here on the slide as well. So the problem with the trim is it, it simulates much higher wear than the foot is actually doing. So say you do your 20 miles a week on your horse and then you trim it every four weeks. So on the fourth week, you're suddenly telling the hoof that you're doing much higher mileage. So what the hoof will then do is throw out a huge amount of growth. And what that means is that then in the next four weeks, you have to trim it again. So you can get into a real cycle of um, the trim prompts the growth, prompts the, you know, and it appears that you have to keep trimming to keep on top of the hoof. But actually the hoof will self-regulate if you give it the chance. So this is more, you know, galloping up down the road. <laughs> Luckily we right, have quite I love it. And I love the from the rear too. And it's raining again, of course. It's always raining. I know this is a dry one. I think we were in the east of England for this. So this is the this is again, you know, more shots of funky feet, more horses galloping along and having a jolly time. But all of these horses self-maintain, none of them are trimmed. Um, and so Generally, my own experience is that unless you have a serious metabolic problem, a laminitis or a PPID or EMS, or you know, unless you have that, then 
usually the feet are very, very good at self-maintaining if you give them the chance to do that. But you have to step back and do a certain amount of hands off, which isn't for everybody. Um, but it's very useful if you have a horse with uh, an apparent asymmetry, because if you don't step back and allow the horse to show you how his, he would like his feet to be, then you won't ever, you won't ever find out. Well, I think one of the things that this precludes is that we're not talking about horses that are in stalls 23 hours a day and only ridden one hour a day. No, I mean, that, that's so bad for them in so many ways. It's where do you even start? Um, exactly. But that, there's a lot of situations where that's the case. And so, you know, what I keep hearing from you over and over, and I think it's a really good point, is you are riding these horses. They are fit. They are working. They're not, you know, maybe it's long. That's, that's true. But of course, the broodmare and the foal weren't, well, weren't in that position. Yeah. And I have friends who have retired horses, and they've told me the same, um, mm -hmm. that actually, if you, if you back off from the trimming, a foot is actually very good at regulating downwards as well as increasing growth where needed. Um, going back to your point about... Um, how feet load this is a this is a horse i know i knew very well and when he came to us he had uh, collateral ligament injuries and check lig check ligament injuries and he was uh, he he was very well shod with apparently well balanced feet but he was always going lame and he was a very young horse he'd, he'd done very little but they couldn't keep him in sound work sound or in work at all um, and what was interesting was that over the years that i knew him he did develop these not grotesque but he did develop these medial uh medial deviations so um if i had trimmed his feet to become symmetrical and to deal with the flare i would have constantly been unbalancing his foot um as it was the time he came to us was when i was already moving away from trimming and he as a result was allowed to develop the feet he wanted and he stayed sound the rest of his life uh, and, and worked very hard very hard and did extremely high mileage. So he was another interesting lesson into um, what a balanced tooth is like, because if you filmed this horse um, with his apparently asymmetric feet, his landing was perfect. He was clearly heel first, he had perfect medial lateral balance. And if you'd taken away the medial asymmetries, he would have actually been much more liable to tip. Wow. And this horse is the same. They're, they're, these two are a slightly, the chestnut horse is an extreme example and the bay horse is a, is, a, is a more normal example. So what I thought I'd do is I would stop the sharing there and um, just see if people have questions. Yeah, I'm sure that um, if you want to ask a question, just put it in the chat or put it in the q and This is fascinating. Um, you, you bring up some really interesting points because um, I think the biggest thing, the takeaway here, is that we need to look at the foot in movement. And we tend to look at the foot in a static situation where it's, they're just standing. And so you look at the foot in standing and you make all kinds of assessment. But exactly. having that video of the, of the moving foot, and I love the from behind and in front and from the side, that's all the examples, um, brings in, in motion. And motion is really what we're looking at or what we, what we need. Exactly. Um, it's like saddle fit. You can't saddle fit a horse in a static environment. You've got to look exactly. at the environment because that's what it's going to be doing. And you can trap a horse's back, fitting them to a static posture. Um, exactly. And one of it's the exactly the same principle. Exactly right. the same principle. 
And with Surefoot, one of the things that's so fascinating with Surefoot when the horses, I don't know if you've seen Surefoot when they're standing on the balance pads, but you, you can see uh, changes in load because they're shifting and changing and swinging and fit, you know, doing all kinds of things. And so you get another picture, but this is yet another way to evaluate. And really what you're doing with those pads is very similar to what we do with the tracks here. So the tracks here are conformable. That's the whole point of them. They allow feet to flex and to move um, and that's really how the feet you know grow and strengthen and one of the ways to do that as you do with the pads is to allow them to move in their own time without restriction allow them to experiment allow them to you know oh it feels yeah. a bit better if I move like this and even when we work them in the school we, we, we don't use any gadgets we don't use anything to constrain how they move if they want to go on with their noses on the floor that's fine if they want to you know they just have to learn patterns of movement that are more comfortable right so we've got some questions coming in yeah. um, from barb it says if i'm understanding horses that grow long toes are being trimmed too often from their environment lifestyle question it, it can be that um, often with a long toe so again it's something we see a lot on the rehab horses they will tend to have an underrun heel they will tend to have a long toe and sometimes it's as much as anything because um, the horse is not able to load correctly and so it's uncomfortable in the back of the foot and therefore you have uh, atrophy in the frog atrophy of the digital cushion and of course it becomes a vicious circle um, and then the foot tends to run forward so it can be a trimming issue or it can be a biomechanical issue so, or it can be a nutritional, you know, metabolic issue if you've got something like a laminitic long toe. Right. And then the, my other question is, you know, I mean, after listening to Dr. Neertard about fascia, if a horse has fascial restrictions, that's going to show up in the feet. So yeah. um, then you, you do have, do you do body work or have body work done on the horses while they're going through this rehab process? What I tend to, because they're only here quite a short time and there's a huge amount of change going on, I, I prefer for the horses to see a body worker when they go home that is already familiar with the horse and how the horse normally feels, because I think that's actually more useful. When they're down here, um, so much is changing. So they're changing how they load their feet. What you usually see is a chain of, a chain of stuff going through the body. So they will, in an ideal world, the front length, front stride length increases, which means that you get different development of the shoulder. You quite often get release of tension in the shoulder release of tension in the neck you get horses who have been going hollow starting to lift their backs and drop their heads and move through better from behind so there's just an enormous amount going on plus we're on hills and if a horse has come from a flat place they're then building muscle in places they didn't have muscle before so it's a lot to ask but um but yeah body work is really helpful we don't tend to use it while they're here because they're here for such a short time and they have so much other going on. There's there are a lot of caution of not overloading. We talked about that last night with the acupuncture that you could easily overload and then the system doesn't know how to respond. Exactly. And I, I very much work on the view that my job is to work from the ground up, get the feet as good as I can within the 12 weeks. And then that does allow a whole chain of other good stuff to happen. Right. And it sounds like you're definitely addressing, well, we're not going to talk about it today, nutrition, which is a big Massively factor. In Massively important. Right. And, and exercise, movement. I think that, you know, it's, that's one of the take-homes I'm coming to is that I need to move my horse more. <laughs> or, or even just allow them to move more. Because one of the things that we do here is the tracks are set up so that um, horses can't gallop about particularly. The, the tracks are kind of snaky meanders with yards in between 
So they can meander and they have to, you know, kind of go around the corner to see what's happening over there and then around the corner to see what's happening over there. But it's not big open area and let's just gallop about like maniacs. Because what I want is constant, steady movement um, uphill and down dale and different surfaces. And um, I, I got a nice clip from a rehab horse that just arrived the other week. Um, he's coming down from one of our yards and it's quite stony and uneven because we've had a huge amount of rain and it's washed a lot of stones down. And you can see him standing at the top going, well, I'm going to have to really think about this. And he puts his foot down and he thinks about it. And I'm like, oh, that works out. And then he puts his other foot down and he thinks about it. And what I hope is that I'll get footage of him, you know, a few weeks down the line and he'll be swinging down the slope a lot more with a lot more confidence. But you can see him having to really work out how to put his foot down and then load it. Oh, that's it's it's really fascinating to watch. Isn't it fascinating to watch horses think about their feet? That's one of the things uh, with Surefoot, yeah. especially when I work with mounted horses and the riders report. I feel my horse thinking about how his foot lands, and I just yeah. love that. It's like we it's we great. yeah, it, they really are paying attention. You know. All right, we've got another question here. Um, I have an old broodmare turned out a hundred percent of the time, and she's only <clears throat> about twelve weeks or so, but she does not wear off hoof. How can that be managed to avoid trimming? It's difficult, isn't it? If she's not wearing hoof, what does that mean? Does that mean that her feet don't change or does that mean her feet are getting a bit long? If it means her feet are getting a bit long, as in how they look to you, I would still be inclined to see how she's moving and see if she's comfortable. Is she landing heel first? Is she, is she, has she, does she have good medial lateral balance? also address her nutrition because if you have any sort of high sugar levels, low mineral levels, low magnesium, low copper and zinc, you can get um, stretched white line, you can have other problems that again make the feet not grow as well connected as you want and you can then have a foot that looks longer. Yeah, the nutrition piece, we're going to have to have you come back and talk about the nutrition piece because I keep hearing this one come up. Oh, well, nutrition really, I mean, for, for any horse it's important, but really for a, for a horse that is working without shoes, if you haven't got good nutrition, you might as well just bang your head against the wall. And I think one of the reasons that shoes are very successful and very useful is that they allow you to take an underperforming hoof, hoof and make it perform as if it's mm. very healthy. So I'm not knocking shoes, they certainly have their uses. But for me, I would rather have an optimally healthy foot. And I'm fortunate that I'll have the environment where I'm able to, on the whole, help horses produce that. Right. Okay, we've got another question here. Can you comment on how long it takes to come to a steady state of, of hoof growth and wear? I have an older pony mare that we check each time the farrier comes for the other horses. She has not been altered in several years. She doesn't do that, <laughs> does match growth and wear. <laughs> It sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, I have a horse who I haven't, I haven't trimmed for like nine, 10, 11 years. Um, and yeah, it sounds like you've got that perfect stasis. So, so, uh, just to kind of recap, if, if we were to try to set up the environment where the horse's feet didn't need to be trimmed because their wear was matching their growth, we have to look at their nutrition because if they're lacking in nutrition, then they're not going to grow a healthy foot. We have to yeah, look at the environment because it sounds like you're working horses on different footings. And yeah, so that's more for rehab, to be fair. That's the sort of sections of, of what I do that are just aimed at rehabilitating horses with lameness. And there are sections which are important for every horse, like nutrition. Um, high mileage, I don't think is important for every horse. Although what, what I never realized until I had barefoot horses was 
how much mileage you can actually do and a horse will thrive on it, absolutely thrive on it. And well, I had no idea. Yeah, that's the thing is, I think about when I was a kid and then prior to that, even military, those horses, you know, worked hard. They had to go a hundred miles and, you know, and, and now our horses are kind of like us, you know, we go out for an hour of exercise, maybe to go to the gym and then we sit around on our computers the rest of the time and they sit around. So, and then we wonder why it's, you know, we've only done 3000 steps today and we wonder why we're actually not in optimal, (laughs) optimal health. Exactly. And, and they're, uh, they have discovered that, you know, that hour of exercise does not undo the eight hours of sitting. It's not an equivalent. Um, no, it's not, which is why, you know, having a horse that's in a box for, or stall for, you know, 23 hours a day creates a whole host of problems, not just foot problems. Right. So someone's asking about, the, um, is there a place for boots? Um, I'm sure there is. I don't use them here because I haven't got time. I only have a really short window of time with the horses that come here and I need maximum stimulus for the foot, which means not using hoof boots. Um, so there's that element of it. And then personally, I don't find them very practical for the work I do with my own horses. Um, one, I don't actually need them. And two, because we have very wet terrain, we have ground that goes one minute, it's tarmac, and the next minute it's bog, the next minute it's something else. You'd spend your life replacing hoof boots. So yeah. I personally, I don't use them. I'm sure they do have a use. I think the time that I would recommend them to an owner is if an owner had a horse who was coming straight out of shoes, you had limited control of the diet or perhaps it had PPID and therefore you were always going to have an issue with sensitivity on stones, but you had to get the horse across ground, which it was uncomfortable on Mm -hmm. for for whatever reason to take it to its field or to take it, you know, out on exercise. And so, so we have, you know, the, in the ideal world, I, and that's what I always have to come back to is there's an ideal and then there's reality. And in the ideal yeah. world, the horse wears his foot equal to his activity level, that he's, it's a healthy foot, he's got the nutrition he needs. And then we have to look at the reality of, you know, not every horse is optimum nutrition, not every horse is optimum environment, not every owner has optimum control. And I think that that's absolutely a that we have to consider. Um, yeah so one of the one of the questions i'm often asked by people sending their horses down here is oh i can't create an environment like yours when i bring the horse home and what i always say to them is the environment i have here is for rehabilitation it's not i don't need this for my own horses um and people when they take their horses home don't need a special environment we've we've had horses go home from you know, to every sort of yard, people who have their own land, people who are on a livery yard, people who have very, very limited control over their environments and people who can do whatever they like. We have every spectrum. The things that are consistent for the rehab horses is that they need to be in regular work because without mileage, because they've already had injuries, if you don't keep the mileage and keep the foot health up, they can re-injure themselves more readily than a horse that's never been injured. But but without you know outside of that there's a huge amount of scope for what people you know where people exercise and also the longer you go on um the more so with the horses that were in the clicks the more years of really good healthy foot that you have under that horse the bigger your margin for error so we had a horse uh, years ago who was so sensitive to diet that for two years, I just thought, you know, this is impossible. This whole, I can manage it with the other horses. I can't manage it with her because it just doesn't work. But the, the, the thing was that she was just much more sens- sensitive to nutritional fluctuations than my other horses. Once I got her diet good, it was easy. 
And after I'd had her on a good diet for three or four years, I could do all sorts of things that I couldn't do initially. So I could turn her out during the day and I could do this and I could do, and I had, I could, I had lots of stuff that I could play with. Whereas when she was borderline unhealthy, had, you know, thin soles and all the rest of it, I had to be much more careful. So it, it becomes easier, not just because you know more, but because your horse is more robust. So, yeah. you know, if you, if you have a dose of flu, but you're basically fit and healthy, you'll be back on your feet quicker than somebody who has a dose of flu who's, who's already has comorbidities. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think the resiliency <laughs> increases as the overall system strengthens. And there is um, very much this uh, building on success, if you will. You, the, the longer the system knows how it is to be healthy, then the easier yeah. it can respond when it has an insult. Exactly. But I mean, from, from your, going back to your question about, you know, we have to deal with reality. The two biggest problems that people have when they go home with their horses from here, one is if they can't work their horse because either they get ill or, you know, they move house or they go on holiday and the horse has a few weeks when it's not working. That can cause a problem. And the other massive problem that people have is high levels of sugar in grass. So mm. if you can deal with those two things, if you can keep your horse in consistent work and if you can deal with sugary grass then you've solved some of the biggest problems. Wow, this has been really, really interesting, Nick. I am so glad that you came on and, and did I'm this. I'm so glad you invited me. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I guess I'd love to have you come back and talk about nutrition because you know, I've, I, I, this is another piece of the puzzle. And the more different pieces, I think of this as sort of like a gigantic jigsaw puzzle. And we just keep each webinar kind of adds another brick or another yeah. piece of the puzzle so that people can understand this is, we have to deal with the whole horse and look at all these different Absolutely, aspects. absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the most fun things for me about having a horse that's um, working out of shoes because you get a magnifying glass, you get, you get a, a, a quick heads up if something's going wrong because the, it always shows up in the feet very, very quickly. And you'll have a horse go from I mean, it happened to me once and I was absolutely horrified. I took a horse to uh, up country about four or five hours away. The horse had been completely sound all the time I'd known him. I walked him off the trailer and he was foot sore on stones and he never had been before and he never was since. And in the end, when I talked to one of the local vets, they said, oh yes, there's a virus going around. And it only showed up as loss of performance in racehorses. It was subclinical effectively, right. but it showed up as loss of performance. And I thought, that's it. I traveled him. He succumbed to the virus and it showed up as foot sore. Lasted a week, went away, never a problem again. But you get this, you get these red flags <laughs> and it's really helpful actually because you can nip things in the bud. Right, right. And, and that's the thing is the sooner we can catch something, the faster we can respond to it and minimize the effects. Exactly. But if he'd been in shoes, I would never have known he had a virus and I probably would have carried on working him through the whole of that week and who knows what, have hap what right. would have happened. He could have actually, you know, developed quite a serious illness. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating and I just love your videos and I'm really hoping you'll come back. I'll, get, I'll pop you an email and we'll figure out a date. And, um, you know, there's been lots of people on Facebook watching. I'm going to go and handle all the questions there later, or maybe you can go, I, I put it up on the Surefoot Equine page. Maybe you can chime in if there's any questions there. Yeah, sure. I'll try and find you on Facebook and let's try and find each other. We can yeah, yeah, we got to do that. All right. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Just remember that you can find all the webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. If you subscribe, you'll get a notice when I post a new one. And you can always find the place to register on the surefootequine.com website. Just go to the calendar, click on the date, a little box will pop up, click on that box and you can register right from